Welcome to SlaterPod episode 13. Good morning to you, Esther. Morning, Florian. All right, I spent a lot of time in front of my webcam. Uh, I had a, a virtual conference yesterday and I'll, I'll tell you a bit more about that. So I hope you all had a good and virtual uh, week this week <laughs> so far. Uh, you know, the entire globe is, is going virtual, is going remote. And uh, of course, for, for Slater, this is no different. I mean, we've been always been a distributed organization, but um, you know, with uh, schools closing and, and stay-at-home notices, uh, we're also impacted and our, our daily workflow. Um, well, probably not the workflow, but just at least for me personally, the times I, I work have changed uh, somewhat, right? Given mm-hmm. the, the school closings for me in particular that have affected me. But, you know, there's... A lot of businesses out there that are uh, affected uh, very severely. You know, for example, here in Switzerland, we have restaurants closing. All all non-essential businesses have closed. Uh, how how is the situation in London regarding closings of stores? They haven't closed any stores yet. They are stepping up the measures, though, um, in terms of the recommendations. So, the general recommendation is no non-essential contact. Mm-hmm. Um, don't go to bars, pubs, clubs. Stay away from pe- people who are o- over the age of seventy. But they're still o- they're still open. Yeah, they uh, technically are. Yeah, they are still open. I don't know whether some of them will choose to close because they don't have any customers. Yeah, we yeah. will see. And then news is that schools are closing. Last day open today. Though it is, they are remaining open for key what you call key workers. So the children of nurses. Um, another frontline staff will be allowed to go to school. Wow. Okay. Yeah, mm. we're probably one step ahead uh, in the timeline here because everything is closed except basically mm. grocery stores. It's uh, in, in Switzerland. It's quite a. We're very close to Italy, so it's it's coming up. Uh, yeah. Through our southern cantons, and it's. Uh, but you know, again, this is has gone fully global in, in Europe's uh, affected California today. Uh, shut down uh, even more strict than than much of Europe. So, an evolving situation. So, what we've done this week, we're not only going to talk about Corona. Uh, there's there's other things. <laughs> you'd be uh, pleased to know, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you'd be pleased to know that we're not only going to talk about Corona, but we did do something we'd almost uh, you should maybe almost classify as a public service announcement. Today, we um, published a an article that lists uh, all of the responses, the different responses that industry. Uh, participants, you know, LSPs have put out and, mm-hmm. and, and and told people what's their plan, what's their contingency plan uh, during this crisis. And uh, so I really encourage everybody to go and, and check it out. It's uh, it's very interesting. It's, we probably have about 40, 50 different responses. And this is a living article. We'll keep it open. Uh, yeah. Unlike all of our other articles where we, you know, obviously don't update midstream, this one we encourage uh, people who uh, w- want to get this uh, get this published, they can they can send us uh, you know their notices, their their updates to to their customers, etc. So when I'm when I've read through it, um, really the talk is about um, or what they're stressing is business continuity, right? Yeah. Um, so they're saying you know we're working remotely, even though our facilities are closed. Um, some have pointed out that they're fully cloud-based or most of their, uh, their tech is, is fully cloud-based and that basically mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah, our service and operational vector are predominantly cloud-based, so don't worry. Um, then some have put out uh, like um, resources on how to use uh, like telehealth 
services. Uh, that's uh, I think from the virtual interpreting uh, okay. space in the in the U.S. And then uh, we spoke about media localization um, as well. That I think the key problem is the dubbing. Yeah. Dubbing is uh, yes. I mean there there are remote products like like Zoos out there, but uh, the the vast majority continue to work in studios, and the studios are now shut down. Uh, mm. So the dubbers and the media localizers are updating, uh, you know, how this continues. Most of them stress that subtitling continues to go on and, and other services, um, maybe voiceover, but the, 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 the core dubbing operations um, are probably put on hold for now. Very challenging situation for everybody. We also um, published a, a pro article, and I don't want to go too much into detail because we did discuss it the last couple of times around already, but around the performance of uh, the, the listed LSPs again, the key here is that it's as good as pro- a proxy as any about the imp or about how the impact of this crisis on this particular industry is perceived by the investment community, i.e., by kind of almost the, the public at large. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So that is the interesting point here: not who fell how or who took what hit on the stock market, but it's mm-hmm. important to really track this and. It's somewhat encouraging that the major players like SDL, like RWS, like Appen are actually somewhat above the benchmark index. So it seems that well-capitalized, strong businesses in this industry are perceived as, you know, relative outperformers or, you know, not in a sense, the ones that are getting hit most in this current crisis. And I think that's encouraging because, yes, it is a a relatively... A virtual industry already, right? It touches mm. all kinds of other industries. Uh, you know, there's a lot of business in pharmaceuticals and other defensive sectors that that are likely going to uh, remain somewhat robust th- during this crisis. So, yeah, it was an interesting. I mean, Appen's doing well. Keywords, of course, in the gaming uh, and SDL and RWS are kind of on benchmark level there. So only the smaller ones uh, are suffering in terms of the sell-off. I mean, it's a snapshot. It changes day by day. The markets are as volatile as they've been probably ever since the Great Depression in the 20s. Uh, this is an mm. unprecedented situation. But uh, but yeah, so for our pro subscribers, they can go and, uh, and look at that chart and graph. On a more positive note, uh, uh, you know, as conferences are moving uh, well, away or offline or uh, sort of from offline to online. Uh, I had a fantastic experience yesterday. You know, I was scheduled to keynote the XTM Live conference in California this week, but uh, yep. <laughs> they did a fantastic job, the XTM team. They moved it online uh, through a GoToMeeting uh, video mm-hmm. conference. And, you know, we're familiar with GoToMeeting. We had Hartmut at our Amsterdam conference. So yep. I can now attest that the product works exceptionally well. There were, you know, literally hundreds of participants in that virtual conference. And the XTM team did a fantastic job um, running it, preparing it. Uh, There was no glitches. There was, you know, very smooth handoffs. And the discussions were very, very interesting. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, within that very short period of time, uh, you know, XTM, that translation management uh, solution provider managed to pull off a virtual conference. And uh, I got to say, I'm, I was very encouraged seeing this and, you know, Mm -hmm. this is probably something that many more will, will do going forward as well. So yeah, so that's the quick uh, Corona update. Uh, But yeah, as I promised, we we're going to talk about other things. So you were looking into the uh, Chartered Institute of Linguists survey that they published in the UK uh, a yep. couple of weeks ago, Esther, right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, the Chartered Institute of Linguists, the CIOL, so it's a UK professional body that also represents um, translators and interpreters around the world, um, published the second in a series of, of surveys focused on uh, looking at qualifications and, and career paths for linguists. So we had, uh, the survey was of 320 participants um, and that broadly included translators, interpreters, some students, some retired professionals, and some also more business-focused um, um, people in the language industry, project managers, sales, business development, etc. Um, so it's the second of a four-part study, um, mm. this survey. And 70% of the respondents were translators and interpreters. Oh, wow. 50, yeah, so obviously, I mean, that I think is probably reflective of their membership um, base um, and 50% of all respondents were working full-time um, as translators slash interpreters and so that's sort of the makeup of uh, the participants there. What was it, the rest? It, Sorry excuse me. Yeah you. so the, yeah the rest were I mean so like I said I mean it's it's some project managers some students some retired um, professionals um, and some from business development um, roles admin roles as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, there were some some really interesting insights there and, and some quite in-depth questions around um, sentiments towards um, the industry, how the how people feel that their role is perceived by non-language um, professionals as well. Um, but I thought what, one interesting thing and something that we picked up in the headline as well was was the feelings towards um, the level of um, income. And mm -hmm. um, so one question I mean, one related question was actually, what at what age did you start getting paid for working as a linguist? Uh, and most people said that they were they were in a paid role by the age of thirty. So at least sixty five percent of people surveyed had actually started working for paid work um, by the age of thirty, um, which might not be that surprising. Although obviously some people do have other careers before deciding to become a linguist. Um, and so I mean. The question of income really was was phrased, I think, as at what age did you start to earn an acceptable income um, or what you consider to be an acceptable income? And really, it wasn't until generally speaking, it wasn't until early 30s. So between the age of 31 and 35 that people started to earn or they reported that they started to earn what they considered to be an acceptable level of income. And um, so 36 percent of people said it was in their early 30s. Mm. Um, however, one fifth or 20% 20, 20 of people said that they had not yet started to receive what they considered to be an acceptable income. Um, obviously, there were some students in there, um, so they would probably fall into that bracket, I would imagine. Um, but I mean, there were no quantitative questions either about, you know, what, what is an acceptable amount, pr probably because you are actually surveying people in different geographies as well. Um, but I mean, the, the sort of analysis from the CIOL was that this showed uh, a level, a significant level of dissatisfaction um, mm -hmm. in terms of interpreters and translators pay. Mm. I mean, on a slightly happier note, I would say, um, one of the questions focused around what, what of the following statements best reflects your feelings about being a linguist? Oh, so, yeah, okay, that one's nice, in spite yeah. of the pay, um, how do you actually feel about the role in being a linguist? And now that there, I think there were five or so categories to choose from um, in this one. But the two biggest responses, the two categories that received the most responses were 
Uh, so 40 percent over 40 percent of people said it's a profession and linguists should be respected and like other professionals which i mean you can't really argue with that Mm -hmm. Um, but the the second most second highest response category was i feel like it will be a lifelong passion for me so 30 percent of people said they feel like being a linguist uh, will be a lifelong passion see i would i would be very interested to see how many like if you take other job categories, right? I don't know. Mm. Like, nothing against accountants, but what do accountants have a lifelong passion for accounting? Or, I mean, they're just like a million other jobs that you probably wouldn't get 30% of the people who say they have actually a passion for this, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, most of the, it's a pretty positive sentiment, obviously. And some of the other categories mm. were also things like, I care about the languages profession. I want to improve the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make a difference and break down language barriers. So these are things that people are actually saying as to why, pretty much why are you, you know, in this role or what do you like yeah. about this role? And yeah. something less than 1% said it's just a job. All right. I suppose it's, it stands to reason, though. I mean, if you're not satisfied with the pay and you only consider it just a job, you're not really going to stay in the profession, are you? Yeah, that there's some self-selection going on. I guess exactly. Because yeah, yeah. if you don't care and, and you don't like to pay, I guess you should abandon it at some point if you're not that happy exactly. with it, right? Exactly. Hey, and then you came across a tweet segueing yeah. from that um, from our friends at Zingword. That's uh, right. They're, they're doing repeating tweets and polls around. The, those were for translators, right? Yeah. Translators and interpreters, okay. yeah. Um, so the one I came across was yeah, a tweet from Zingwed saying, looking to survey or take a quick poll really of um, translators and interpreters asking, how has coronavirus affected your business? Um, so, I mean, they had something like 90 votes when I, when I looked at this um, mm-hmm. and fi- about 50% had said that business was slow. 40% said business has not changed and about 10% or just under said business is better. Okay. So yeah, we, we, we had something similar in our, I mean, we've asked in our newsletter, uh, yeah. we've, we've also ran a, the same kind of the same poll twice over the last two mm-hmm. weeks and the results were, I don't know, maybe there's also self-selection. Uh, a fair amount of people said it was better. Um, mm. And very few said it was severely negatively impacting. And yeah, I'm sorry that we're going back to Corona, but I guess uh, it's hard to avoid, right? But yeah. you know, you never. It, these are these are quick snapshots. These are not representative polls. So I, I I wonder if those who are really heavily impacted are maybe not clicking as much as those who actually feel you know a short term bump in their business. So yeah. But yeah, I mean, so this tweet where you. Yeah, so 50% said business is slow is probably somewhat accurate. Um, only 90% yeah. business is better. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of comments underneath as well, which I think were, were quite interesting. I mean, somebody made the point that translators and interpreters yeah. may well have a different response. Um, you know, but then I think they, they then said, well, yes, but a lot of translators work as interpreters. So does it really make sense to split the poll into two different um two different polls. Uh, yeah. one, one person then also said all, all interpreting orders have been cancelled. Some translation orders have been suspended. Companies are trying to save money. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So th- this goes back to the broader question, like the, the impact on overall demand. And this is somewhat, yeah. it's probably correlating fairly um, accurately with the economy at large, which, which obviously is taking a major hit right now. Uh, mm-hmm. But for conference interpreters, I mean, 
I would assume there's zero business if you're if you're in a lockdown mode. There's no conferences, there's no business meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what are you going to do? So work as a translator, no? Yeah, you can work as a but you know many of the professional conference interpreters. I would, I mean, they probably don't work as translators. I mean, that's yeah. not their business. I suppose if you're yeah, if you're used to working 100% of the time yeah. on that, yeah, on the interpreting side, uh, it's different. So. Now, I think very many governments around the world are keenly aware that you need to support these types of professions uh, and professionals that have, you know, that basically whose business has gone down to zero. I mean, interpreters are one group and there, there are many others. And, you know, for example, here in Switzerland, they're now discussing, you know, literally 30, 40 billion dollar aid packages to the broader economy. And then part of the Part of this is I just read a couple of hours ago that, yes, I mean, these independent professionals are, are part of it and hopefully they'll get uh, some support to, uh, you know, in, enable to that they can generate some uh, income over the next couple, uh, next couple of weeks. Um, okay, getting out of Corona again into Airbnb, whose business is likely also impacted by <laughs> that current situation there. Uh, they're not at, they're not listed yet. I think they're still a private company. Yeah, because Uber listed... Um, but Airbnb is still a private company. So, well, anyway, um, that said, they have a ton of localization. So we had a, a very unique, um, opportunity to interview Salvo Jamaresi, their head of localization. Um, so what were your main takeaway from this, Esther? Yeah, I suppose it was the volume, the sheer volume. I mean, we're used to, you know, hearing about large volumes in the region of sort of 30 million words or something as an annual, <laughs> as an annual mm. um, sort of volume. But this is 100 million plus words translated in 2019, human translated wow. um, in 2019. Into, and that was for product marketing help center and communication documentation. So that's not even counting the user-generated content, um, you know, the, the descriptions of people's homes and the descriptions of experiences that are on offer. Um, so it's huge. And they've doubled. Uh, I mean, they doubled, I think, the number of language combinations um, to 62 during the course wow. of 20, 2019. Um, so there's now 62 languages that you can use to engage with Airbnb. Which, I mean, yeah, so the 100 million. And also, I believe um, they're only using one LSP. So they're working with an LSP called Translated for translation, transcreation, and cultural adaptation. Mm-hmm. Plus, they are also using one um, QA vendor for the functional um, and linguistic testing. Okay. Um, so that's translated. That's the, that's the Maycat, uh, modern MT also related, right? Yeah, Italy and Rome, right? They're based in yeah. Rome. Yeah. Wow. They get to translate 100 million words. Uh, I mean, yeah. maybe they have some backup vendors, but yeah, that's a, that's a nice piece of business. And also... That's a nice piece of business, yeah. The, you said 62 languages. That is an amazing amount of languages because just sourcing... A good right. roster of linguists. I mean, you and I were in those positions before, right? We had to source mm-hmm. linguists for that many languages. That's a major, major challenge, vetting them, making sure they're all available when you need them. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. And then for the for the user-generated piece as well, they said they use, they have a translate button for reviews and for user-generated content. Um, that then um, pushes it out to a third-party uh, machine translation provider. Okay. So you can then, you can then see those in, you know, in the language of your choice at the click of a button. Maybe modern MT, but we don't know. Do we know? We don't know. I don't believe we know. No. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, before we segue into the next one, um, speaking of MT, uh, DeepL just launched uh, Japanese and Chinese, finally. Mm. After about two years of asking uh, or of push from users, you know, they launched and they did you know, one of those posts where they said they're, um, they beat everybody else, Google Transit, Amazon, in terms of the benchmark, people prefer DeepL, but let's see, right? But um, if DeepL launches finally into a language other than the core they had their Lingui database in, it's uh, it's kind of proof that they can ramp up their uh, model in in other languages as well. And Japanese and mm. Chinese are obviously huge, huge uh, globally. Uh, so that might uh, mean that they finally enter the U.S. or even the Asian markets. Uh, just kind of read this in our. Uh, Slater Sweep this morning, you remember? Slater Sweep is our weekly, uh, sorry, our daily uh, news roundup where we basically, um, whatever we come across, we stick it into a newsletter and send it out every day So, uh, for uh, paying subscribers. Uh, and hey, podcasting, let's do the full uh, yeah. introspection here. So po- podcasting is going uh, multilingual. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting meta, I suppose. We're getting, we're getting meta, yeah, that's right. <laughs> podcasting about podcasting. Um, yeah, so this this was a story um, earlier this week about, yes, podcasts becoming more of a multilingual business. Um, and we were also sort of inspired by a blog, a blog post in one of, um, I think, Harvard, on a, a blog post by... Um, by Harvard um, that was talking about being a boom in translation um, for podcasts Mm -hmm. so the idea being obviously um, that well podcasts are reliant on audiences Um, obviously revenues can come from advertising content marketing subscriptions etc but all of that is dependent on the audience size therefore expanding into more languages you know is likely to to boost that audience if you do it right Um, so and podcasts generally um, I think have just crossed the one billion dollar mark as a in terms of market size so it's now becoming a quite a big business and it's growing, I think, exponentially. We should be reading um, ads. We should be reading should ads we... as well. <laughs> well, oh, let's I see. think it should be a jingle, no? Huh? We should, a jingle? Jingle. No, yeah, jingle. Okay. no, but I mean, like, uh, I guess the way all of these podcasts are making money is they're reading ads, right? So uh, yeah. if anybody listens to this and uh, wants to do an ad on Slaterpot, please reach out. A nice little banner behind us. Or Another banner. Well, yeah, a banner as well, but we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, sto- the story yeah. is that um, some of the big some of the big US publishers of um, of podcasts, uh, I think Wondery and iHeartMedia are two of them, um, they've both announced that they're going to be doing um, podcasts in languages other than English. So a lot of these seem to be the kind of fiction and, and sort of series. So you've got... Dr. Death from Wondery, which is available, I think, in about six or seven languages, including English um, and a podcast called The Nobody Zone, which is a true crime series, which actually when it when it was first brought out, it was immediately available in five languages. So I suppose people generally now are cottoning on to the idea that this might make sense. Um, And particularly when you consider the pod the idea or the fact of listening to podcasts around the world is becoming more I mean it's becoming more of a thing more of a pastime Hmm. Uh, I think they I think we mentioned specifically South America and India as places where podcasting or listening to podcasts is becoming um, bigger business 
So hang on, they actually, I mean, they revoice it, right? They're not just like yeah. if subtitle, they revoice the entire podcast in another yeah, language. Yeah, it's effectively a different, yeah, it's effectively yeah. a different podcast. Right? Different I mean, podcast, they're, they're yeah. translating it and then they're revoicing it. Wow. So re-recording it with, with, in the languages required. That is a very unusual text type, if you think of it from a translator yeah. perspective. Yeah. Like, you know, if it may be not a, a true crime, but like an actual conversational podcast, that's a very yeah, interesting... Like it, would, it would depend on the content, wouldn't it? If it is true yeah. crime, then it's basically just a novel. Yeah, it's a novel, but like a conversational podcast like ours uh, yeah. would be very interesting to, uh, to translate. All right. Um, maybe we should do it. Maybe we should do it. If anybody should, we should. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think uh, we have a, uh, you know, in the, in the language industry, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of English speakers, of course, because it's the pivot language. So great. Well, um, that's it from us this week. Thanks so much for tuning in again. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, looking forward to uh, doing this again next week. Bye, Esther. Yeah, thanks. Bye.